Well, hello there, everybody, and hey, thank you, Janet Lee. Wow, hymns forever. And did you ever do a grand and glorious job on that? It just uh, it it just tickles inside of me to hear those good old hymns. And uh, your style and your spirit of it, thank you. And hello, everybody. We are here again, and we are ready to take a dive into the deep Word of God. And we've got so much to cover. This thing on the revelation of uh, Lucifer, Satan, is not going to get done today. It's probably going to take at least three broadcasts to really get the story to you. But we want to cover a few of the um, things we've covered in the past because uh, it's essential that the people who are going to hear these teachings, especially about Satan, are going to have a backdrop. If they don't have a backdrop, they're not going to be able to put together mentally, spiritually, this story. And it's just like in, uh, you know, the scientists with geology. Uh, Of course, they say the rocks do not verify Noah's Ark flood. But you know why that is? That's because they are basing what the timing events are and the uh, happening events are according to the theologians uh, and their interpretation of the Bible and according to the Bible creation scientists who believe in the short time of the earth existence. So naturally, based on that timetable, they're going to say, yes, the rocks don't tell the story. But there have been has been many cases in which... Um, uh, they have not been able to find a certain archaeological site, and it was because they were looking in the wrong place, based on the wrong time, and uh, based uh, on a misinterpretation of the words. So once they got that straight, they found it. Well, uh, our hope and our prayer is for the people of God to be able to find it. And, you know, uh, this is about the lost book of the wars of the gods. And this is about uh, the occasion of, of uh, Moses standing before the angel of, of Yaviel and receiving all this information. Perhaps it could be done like what happened to me uh, when I went into a sub-audition and the angel Gabriel appeared uh, behind a curtain of, of, of veiled light and uh, he was speaking to me and it went on for quite a long time. And then at the end of the conversation, the angel Gabriel said to me, you will now not remember the things that I have said to you, but in the time of the Holy Manifest, they will begin to come back into your mind in bits and pieces, and you you must write these things down, for they are to be given in the future to the people of the world who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so, wow, perhaps it was like that with Moses on that day at the, at the burning bush, which we discovered was really a zith. And uh, which we discovered was an incredible event, and, and it was a prelude to the twenty thousand uh, angels that would be flying in these ziths, which were called chariots of fire and chariots of God, above Mount Sinai. And at the time of the of the given giving of the of the ten words, or as some people call it, the ten commandments, and so. Uh, there was there was 
a great interlude that was going on w- with Moses. And we, we see from uh, some Bible experiences how that he was so instilled with the, the word that he was receiving that it was not only affecting him spiritually, but it was affecting him, him uh, physically so that his very own molecular uh, 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 aspect of his face began to take on a glow and a whiteness, almost like a phosphorus white. And, and it sort of terrified, uh, you know, the people of Israel when they saw him. It was just more than, the, the, than they wanted to, to experience and to see, so that he covered his face with a veil. And, and even the things that that they would get a little uh, a touch of, of, of the voice and the thundering of God and, and all of this, uh, you know, uh, extraterrestrial uh, movement of the chariots of the gods, uh, the Ziths. Uh, it was just, you know, apparently too much for these people, at least they thought. And they said, look, Moses, we don't we don't want to get involved in this uh, uh, other than hearing it from you after you have experienced it. Uh, we want to stay back from it, and and uh, we're afraid. And so you you do all of the uh, the meetings and and the uh, intrigue, and we will just receive uh, the reference of it from you. Make no mistake, however, my friends, there was so much going on in that mountain uh, and on that mountain in those days that even from afar, they could not help but see and feel uh, the incredible moving of the power and spirit of God. Well, um, we're on now with this story. Uh, God is revealing things to Moses. He's telling him about, you know, uh, the flood. He's telling him about all kinds of, of things. And uh, we, uh, we want to get this story uh, so that you can understand it. Because if you don't understand it, then what we got is, uh, you know, uh, sort of like describes this pregnancy that uh, is an apparent pregnancy. But in the end, it only turns out to be a bunch of, of wind. And it's not really a pregnancy. We don't want you to be uh, pregnant with this word of God, and it turns out to just be a wind, and and, and after a sudden gushing, uh, you know, it goes from uh, inflation to deflation. Uh, that's not what we're looking for. Okay, uh, John John's questions. We, we, we covered two or three last week. Uh, we'll cover some others here. Um, he asked, uh, let me hit this one, uh, doesn't hurt to even repeat one or two of them. Is Yaviel's first, pre- uh, first, is Yaviel a first present angel or a creation angel? He's a creation angel because the first presence angels were angels, uh, of the, of the mind, of the mind world of, of, uh, the invisible, uh, I am God. And, um, they never leave the first, uh, domain. So Yaviel was a, a creation angel. Um, does uh, Lucifer have the power to be in more than one place at a time? Absolutely, yes, he does. Does Lucifer live in a Zam or on one of uh, Saturn's moons? Lucifer lives in the spirit world, 
and uh, and because he lives in the spirit world, he, he can move in and out uh, of any dimension and any space or, or physical uh, aspect uh, at any time. Uh, if he if he wants to uh, take on an expression, uh, he he does so by. Um, uh, becoming a familiar spirit uh, to some particular person uh, or thing. Um, the day comes, the Bible says, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, that he will take on a body. And uh, that is Ezekiel 28. And, uh, and it, it says that, uh, that in the 18th verse, that uh, that body will be, uh, you know, brought to to dust. It will be destroyed, and that in the 19th verse, it will shall never be again. Some um, theologians and persons have uh, sadly uh, fumbled the ball by trying to say if this represents, if Tyrus uh, represents uh, uh, Lucifer and uh, Lucifer is being described that shall never be again, then this, in fact, is pronouncing the destruction of uh, uh, Lucifer. Uh, no, this is describing the destruction of the eventual uh, uh, body that Lucifer will take. Lucifer will prepare a special kind of body that will uh, enable him to, uh, as much as... Uh, can be done, and, and I imagine with his uh, uh, capability, uh, it will be sensational, uh, and that this body will be able to uh, overcome some of the uh, middle wall partitions and, and barriers that normally affect uh, mental uh, transition uh, that uh, is very difficult for the human body between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Uh, and uh, that body, well, eventually, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it'll be a body that will live for thousands of years, and I'm sure that that uh, when that body is destroyed, which would not be an easy thing to destroy that body with the legions uh, that uh, uh, Lucifer Satan will have and with the power that he will have. And uh, so once you understand this, uh, it's, it's, it's very important because uh, the... Um, uh, the importance is that uh, the body will one day be destroyed and never be again. But it's not talking about the spirit uh, that will be destroyed and never be again. So that is uh, very, very, uh, you know, important, uh, you know, to, to understand. Okay, so... Um, I think I think we we're going to stop there because there is so much to cover, so much to cover. Now, what is it that we've got to do? Well, <clears throat> I've thought about this and this teaching, and I've thought, you know what, um, this is going to be one of the teachings that um, we'll be using when we open uh, again the. Uh, uh, Peace Country Bible College, uh, uh, you know, and 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 uh, right now we're we're of course talking uh, of it as a correspondence college, and uh, and then we will give tests on these uh, documentaries that we have done in our teaching series, 
and and people that can learn these things and get the answers right, uh, then they will eventually be able to get the grades that will allow them uh, to to get the uh, the grade credit and and the ministerial uh, you know recognition. So, um, I feel that on this thing about time, it, it seems like this thing about time has been uh, a stumbling block uh, to uh, some of our listeners because they are so entrenched. They are so um, clammed in, uh, in their mind with the brainwashing type of indoctrination uh, that has soaked the membranes of their brain uh, to where it's difficult for them to make the transition uh, to the long of time from the short of time. And unless you, unless you make that transition to the long of time, then you will never really understand the Bible. And I'll tell you that, and I'll, I, I'll proclaim it as a prophecy. You cannot understand the Bible unless you understand the mystery of the time. If you don't get the mystery of the time down and get it on track, you will never understand the Bible. You might understand a few uh, fractions of it. You might understand some verses of it. You might understand some themes of it. But you will never have the whole story down succinctly because you will not know how to add it up. And here is why I want to help you this particular way today. I have covered several of these things I'm going to cover, but there will be some new points I will make, but it's about the time. Because otherwise, when I really get into this holy manifest and I start reading some of the startling and incredulous statements that it makes about the story of Lucifer, uh, it's going to be different for you to apply the application and to apply it with the the uh, the ferment that you need to have uh, so that it becomes glued in your memory and it becomes a part of that part which is a part of those things that you utterly believe. And so I want to go over this again because number one, it is by the Holy Spirit. Number two, it is scriptural. Number three, it is of the time and the moment and the day and the hour for thousands and millions of people to begin to come into this truth. And number four, it is the answer that will alleviate many of the charges of the science world, of the atheist world, because they will not know how to answer this truth which has been hidden in the Bible as an invisible part of the Bible and as it is beginning and continuing to be known will suddenly shatter and shear away the falsehood that has been put down as being some kind of a fact. All right, let's... Let's begin, and we just got to cover some things. First off, let's just let's just look at Genesis one fourteen, 
And let's get this down in our minds, this, this teaching we've been hammering on, uh, that in one fourteen of Genesis 1, God said, let there be lights in the firmament. And what this meant, let there be lights that become visible. Because at that this time, uh, according to prior conditions that happened in the in the long time of the earth uh, there there was moisture and haze that blocked the sun and was in fact uh, in the process of causing you know a great ice age and and as this uh, change of weather and environment occurred uh, that moisture uh, began to dissipating and eventually the light of the sun and the light of the moon could be clearly uh, uh, seen and appreciated. And so that is important, but even uh, uh, doubly important is the fact that this is talking about the sun, which is a star. And it says in the 14th verse of the first chapter of Genesis, let them be, which includes the, the, the moon, which of course the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. So all the light that's really happening is coming from the sun, the sun which is a star and and so we are dealing with light reflection and light radiation that is from the star and that is under the title of being for signs and seasons for days and years in other words it is star time okay so then it becomes very, uh, very clarified uh, in the second chapter uh, after the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And verse 2, second chapter of Genesis, and the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. He rested on the seventh day from all the work he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So someone, if you were a preacher, and you were say, well, I was involved uh, uh, on, on Sunday, and, and I was working really hard, uh, you know, uh, doing the blessings and, and doing several sanctifications, and, and so uh, that's my work as a pastor, and, and uh, that's, uh, you know, what for this church where I, I uh, am the pastor, I get paid for. And you would consider that work. Uh, somehow people have not, you know, really understood the story, you know, in verse 3, and God blessed the, the seventh day and sanctified it uh, because that he had rested from all the work which God created and made because they don't understand that that ties in to a certain scripture in uh, in, in uh, uh, one of the New, uh, New Testament uh, verses in which it basically says that, that, uh, that Jesus, uh, as, as the archangel, uh, uh, that he that he came to this to this galaxy uh, uh, with his angels uh, 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 to be that that and and of course the Bible says uh, he he comes with the voice you know and and and, and the shout of an archangel uh, he himself does that the Bible says Thessalonians so it's beautiful it's glorious it's exciting it's real it 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 it, it is not some cadaver that we're trying to make into a living, uh, a fleshly being. It is a real Holy Spirit induction that is just ready to shout from every molecule and every cellular part of the being. And it is the moment of declaration. 
It is the moment of the referendums that God is saying, now you shall know. And the world, if it will be dumbfounded, let it be dumbfounded. But they who will hear this word and be baptized in this word, they shall be set free. All right. And so we see in this second chapter of Genesis, you know, and God blessed it. And then importantly, the fourth verse, these are the generations of the heavens. So the yoms of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven were generations. Don't forget that word. If you forget that word generations, you lose the ring that you need on your finger to be identified identified uh, for being able to give the code that will take you through the gates of Jerusalem. Praise the name of God. All right, let's go on. So, verse 4, these are the generations of the heaven and of the earth. It includes what has happened in the heavens. We're talking not the heaven of heavens, but the heavens, like space heavens, and heavens around around earth-like bodies and other kinds of bodies, and of the earth when they were created in the day. Absolutely important to make the parallel, the connection, that the day and the generation are equal. They are the the generation they are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day in the yom all right so we have the connection there we must not lose that must not lose it must not lose it must not lose it now this thing about about you know star time is big it's really big like for instance let's look at um you know, let's look at at, at uh, uh, some some other scripture, just to uh, just just to see you know what uh, connections uh, that, that that there are that God does not want us to be uh, let out of. Um, okay, uh, let's look at um, Genesis, um, say twenty six. Okay, in Genesis twenty six verse four. Here is, uh, here is what it says, and this is important. And I will make, this is God talking to, uh, to Abraham, thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto, unto thy seed in all these countries, and, and in thy seed shall all, A-L-L, of the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, this thing of star time is involved in the covenant that God revealed to Abraham. And it isn't just exclusive to the Jews. It is provided for the seed of all the nations of the earth. And in Exodus 32.13 and Deuteronomy 1.6, Moses repeats those, repeats those statements about the stars and the connections to the covenant and the connection to God's people. Again, it also repeats it in Job 38, 7. It is so very, very important for God's people 
to be uh, alert and to be aware of the awesome, 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 awesome truth of the Word of God. Because if you don't know it the way it is truth, then you're obviously learning it the way it has fallacious indications. Okay, now we're seeing star time, the marvel of it, the incredulity of it. And then we go to Psalms 105.8. And it says, He shall, he hath remembered his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Once again, I call on you, every listener, every person who would know the truth and be set free, to remember this word. God is not going to forget his covenant. God is not going to cancel his covenant. God is not going to change his covenant. And what it's about is a thousand generations. A thousand generations. One way of determining what the length of those generations are is to look at Psalms 90.10, where it says the days of our years are three score years and ten. A score is twenty, so three is sixty, and ten gives it seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, then we're talking about 80 years, um, you know, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for we are soon cut off from the human body, of course. We will fly away, our spirits ascend back to God who gave it, as it records it in Ecclesiastes 12.7. All right, now, don't forget a thousand generations, Psalms 105. And if you're using the 70 or the 80, then you're talking 70,000 years and 80,000 years. Don't forget it. You're talking 70,000 and 80,000 years. That is a long time. If for any reason the life length of humankind's generations extend, then star time will extend because star time already incorporates all of the potentials and all the possibilities of any numbers that are lesser than the billions of, num billions of numbers that star time represents. Because when you talk about star time, you know, like talking about how old is the sun, you don't start with hundreds. You don't start with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You don't start with thousands or millions. You start with billions and billions. Yes. Okay. So star time is so prevalent. So now, if we look at Daniel 9:24. It speaks about 70 weeks. Someone says 70 weeks, so you know, 70 weeks, and they sit down, they start adding up 70 weeks. If you really studied the, in, Deuter uh, in uh, Daniel, you would see that one of the things that had to happen was God had to come to Daniel, and Daniel understood by the books 
what a Sabbath was. He understood what a week was. He understood all the potentialities of some of these things from many different uh, perspectives. But Gabriel said, I've come to teach you the truth. I've come to show you the real interpretation. And and uh, why would we it say 70 weeks? And why would it say 70? Well, if you go back to, uh, you know, to uh, Genesis chapter 2, you know, and it, where it says, uh, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them, and on the seventh day. And so you see that you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven equals a week of generations. So when you talk about 70 weeks, it's talking about 70 weeks of generations. And, and that is very, very, very different than what a person can, under, can understand by carnal human reasoning. But you can understand it by the Spirit, and you can understand that those seven uh, days were seven yoms, and those yoms were generations. And if a generation then has a length of 70 or 80 years, then it's going to be times a thousand. You're going to have a 70,000 or 80,000. If it increases to 100, you're going to have 100,000. Someone says, oh, I just can't see that long length of time. Of course you can't. That's why you're listening to the manifester. That's why you're listening to someone who has been to the mountain, who has dived into the deep, who has talked with Gabriel, who has had Shekinah glory come into his own house and the whole family have sat by the hours under the envelope of this supercharged Shekinah glory. This revelation isn't coming by a fluke. This revelation isn't coming by some accidental tripping over a vervilage. This revelation is coming because it is deemed and it is the destiny of God. Blessed be our Father God who art in heaven, which is the Father's house. Blessed be the name of God. So then, Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined. What are they determined for? What, what is the 70 weeks going to do? Well, if you're just talking 70 weeks, like common weeks and common math and common digital terms, then you're not going to accomplish too much. And from the time that this was given in Daniel, it's already passed that. Someone says, oh yeah, but this is talking about a specific 70 weeks. Well, even if it is, is it going to do this? No, it's not. Is it going to do this? To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. You can see by reading in the Bible that sin and transgression goes right on to the, almost the end of, the, uh, of, of the, the verses of Revelation, which is bringing us to the end of time. And unless you understand this in the, the ultimate of the intracentrum of the deep diving finds under the common sea level of mentality, 
then you are not going to know the truth, and the truth is not going to set you free because you haven't got it. But once you get it, you're going to be like trees clapping your hands. You're going to be like Holy Ghost-filled people dancing for joy. You're going to be like a poet spouting off words that will cause people to be startled at what is coming from your mouth. Spitting flames of glory until they roar up into the sky before the eyes of people when they see that you have been charged by the power of the Holy Ghost. All right. Seventy weeks, what else will it do? What is the determination? Finish the transgression and make an end of sins. Make an end of sins to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's what 70 weeks is going to do. And it's not talking about seven, 70 common weeks. It's talking about 70 weeks of generations. It's talking about what I read to you. In Psalms 105, he has remembered his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. In Daniel 7.25, it refers the revelation of this deep diving insight to a time, times, and a half times. And so this thing in Daniel 7.25 of the time, time and a half times rings through much of the Bible. Jesus said in, genera- in, in Matthew 24.34 this generation shall not pass until certain things would be done. Now, if you interpret that in a 30-fold, that's one thing. If you interpret that in a 60-fold, in a that's another thing. But if you interpret it into a 100-fold, which is the maximum ultimate, then you are going to end up understanding that generation that he's talking about in connection and consequences with Psalms 105.8. He hath remembered his covenant the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. And that's going to take you up the road in time. And people out there that just are constantly foaming at the mouth with the spittier of these false, fallacious ideas that the end has happened. It's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen any day. Oh, this is the end. There's going to be many ends. There's going to be many beginnings. But the end of the world, that's another consideration. And that's not happening until these 70,000 generations are up. And believe me, that's the word of God. That's the sensationalism of truth speaking truth. We know that in Revelations 12, 14, and let me just turn over there and read it to you because it is so interesting. Revelations 12, 
13. And here are 12, 14. Here's what it says. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the face of the serpent. See, you have to get the story. You have to get the story that there was war in heaven. But that in itself, in the 12th chapter, is a synodalki. Because it's like saying, as I explained last week, I'm sending over the waves a container to you. You say, oh, man, oh, this is quite a revelation. I got a container coming. It's coming over the, the waves. Uh-huh. You've got to know that the waves represents the seas or the ocean. Uh-huh. You've got to know that when it says the container, that that don't mean anything to you if you don't know what's in it. Maybe it's just empty. Are you getting an empty container? Or what is in that container? Is it gold? Is it silver? Is it full of Bibles? Is it full of building materials to make an ark? What is it? And that's why this great Elisif, this great Elisif, that how I like to pronounce it and call it, is so important to understand that there's a conjunction here. And in that conjunction is a continuum. And by the Holy Spirit, it can connect you in the Bible through the Word of God, spirit to spirit, so that you can know what is not obvious and what is invisible to the average person, what is hidden to the average person, but what is seeable by you. And so we have this woman given two wings. Now there's a great interpretation of those two wings. Don't have time to do that today. Flies into a wilderness. We also know that the Bible tells us that Lucifer made the earth become a wilderness. We know that. And so this thing, wilderness, isn't just an accident. There are things that Lucifer did to try to destroy the plan of God. Like verse 15, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. What would you think if I told you that Lucifer was the cause of Noah's flood. Some would say, oh no, the Bible says God did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Bible also says that God created good and evil. And we know that between the books of Chronicles and Kings, when David numbered Israel against the will of God, that in one story, the Lord stood up and caused that to happen. But in the other story, Satan stood up and caused it to happen, caused it to happen, talking about the same event. So we know just as God used Pharaoh to do some dastardly things, but that ultimately God had the right to cut it off if he would have wanted to, but because God does not go against free mortal and moral agency. 
he allows the momentum of things to occur and incur until they have had all their opportunities. And so here it says that the serpent caused the flood. And I can believe that Lucifer has the power to speak. If God is telling us who are in mortal human bodies that with the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, we can say to a mountain, be you removed and cast into the sea. Lucifer, who was one of the chief archangels and is told that he was perfect of wisdom and knowledge in his day, I'm sure he could speak and cause these things to happen. And they being allowed by God because God's seeing the evil and the sin that is out there, but Lucifer is willing to kill all of his people just to be able to destroy those few righteous that are just a needle in his eye. But God steps in and says, I will save I will save the sons of Enoch and the daughters of Enoch and I will save Noah and his family. And there's nothing that Lucifer Satan can do about it. And it's right here in the Bible. And the earth helped the woman. Someone says, well, the church just started in the New Testament. No, that's not right. You don't know the Bible, or you wouldn't have said that. The Bible clearly speaks about the church being back in the wilderness with Moses and his people. Spells it out. C-H-U-R-C-H. Church. In the wilderness. Check it out. And now, as we begin to look at these things, as we begin to gauge them, there is excitons that are fleeing around, jumping, hopscotching. There are so many things. There are so many beautiful things. We just don't want to miss any of it. Someone says, yeah, well, <clears throat> I don't know if I, this is my Sabbath. Someone else says, oh, my Sabbath was yesterday. And then you have the scripture that says, don't, don't honor one day above another. So you've got people that think that they know and people that think that they're not sure if they know. But people don't understand what the Sabbath is. Second chapter of Genesis, they don't understand that. They don't understand that in like Galatians, the Bible says, in the proper interpretation, that Yaviel emptied himself. That meant he set, laid down his, his angelship of the, of the Lord of hosts. That means that he, he set aside all this great in power and he entered by soul, spirit soul, into Adam. So that it becomes very, very clear Then the third chapter 
of the book of Luke, verse 38, that the Bible says that Adam was the son of God, born on the seventh day. And as I said last week, didn't mean that he wasn't created because God was resting. There was creations going on, and there still are creations going on. And we're going to talk more about that. But right now, we're going to take our break. Janet Lee is coming. She's going to play on the organ. God bless you.
Again, thank you, Janet Lee. And, ladies and gentlemen, let's roll on. Some more of that deep diving, let's go for it. Okay, so, <clears throat> we talked about the Sabbath. Let's move on. That's a big, deep subject that would take hours to really do the whole teaching on it. Uh, we know that in uh, Genesis two ten through 14, there were rivers. But before there were rivers, it first mentions a river went out of Eden. Eden was a big, big land. I have a map of this Eden and what uh, areas and countries that it included. Uh, one day I will get that so it's uh, available for you to, to uh, visualize it. Um, and uh, the river went out of Eden to water the garden, and then it divided into four rivers. Okay, so um, we do know that there was a a garden west and a garden east. We explained that to you last week. The Bible tells us that the land of Eden had an east and a west, and that the garden of Eden had an east and a west. Now, we we do not say that the that the west garden was not first before the East Garden, or the East Garden was west before, was first before the West Garden. Um, but uh, this river, uh, which broke into four heads, was uh, watering, uh, you know, uh, the Garden of Eden. Uh, and then when it came out of the Garden of Eden, uh, it broke into four heads. Uh, the aspect of it, though, is that everything that that river was, it still was, even though it divided into four heads. They were all parts of the original of that one river. And then those rivers, uh, you know, were, were given names. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get into all of uh, that aspect as we, we dig into this, uh, because... Uh, you know, by now some of you people should have you know should have some of this down. You should, you should know it pretty well. But but first uh, we we before we get too much more into the river, let's start in Revelations nine. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven, unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now let's compare this to the fifth generation day and the holy manifest claims that it was on the fifth generation day when lucifer and his uh his co-owned angels were really involved in sending messages into creation and this messing, these messages uh, were part of a plot and a plan by Lucifer Satan to um, invoke, in the process of time, and a an genetic invasion into the plants of creation, the animals of creation, and all of the people-type people critters or creations 
that would arise from the earth. So that there was imbued in all of those three dimensional aspects of living things on earth a, a, and a message that was planted genetically in each one of them. Now, this happened on the fifth day of creation and is connected to the, the, the sounding of the fifth angel. You do not want to get mixed up, especially in the book of Revelations, with trying to uh, take Genesis, uh, pardon me, take Revelations, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 through 22, and think that those are, are in some kind of historical and happening order. They are not. They are thrown in here like a jigsaw puzzle. And you have to, by the Spirit, pull out these different verses and different uh, characterized sayings so as to know how to fit them into the reality of actuality. If you don't get that picture, you will never understand Revelations, even though you think you will. You will never understand the overall picture of the Bible and how that the biggest part of Revelation is also scattered throughout the Bible and comes from verses other than what's in Revelation in other parts of the Bible. And so we have the fifth angel sounding, and there's a star. Interestingly, Satan, by the name Lucifer, is the bright shining star. The same name that Jesus Christ has, the bright and morning star. They have the same name. And that is because, as the anointed cherub, he was assigned to be over the Ophanims during creation, with the exception of the 144,000 that went to spirit creation with Yaviel. And he then took the chair, the throne, and the entitlement, the morning star commander, morning star angel, and has never given up that title or name because his actions have not yet been brought before the white throne judgment. That is still all going to happen. There were some decisions that were made. They were preliminary, but they were not ultimately decisive. Lucifer has still not been judged. He still has the power to turn on the light of God. He still has a soul. He has not yet been judged by the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment includes the seven spirits of God that it mentions various places 
in the New and Old Testament, especially in Revelation, like Revelations 1, verse 4. To the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be to you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and separately, distinctively additional, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. The seven spirits which are before his throne. And so once you get into this, and once you really begin to, to know this revelation, then you can connect it with Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. And I beheld until the thrones were cast down. I wonder how many of you out there are beholding things until the conclusion of Revelation has daunted on you. Or how many of you are just giving up if you don't easily get it and then you're just taking it for whatever reconciliation that you have to, to dab a do it to make it sort of passable or sort of be passable. Revelation 7, 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. You've got to behold this word of God. You've got to stick in there, brothers and sisters. You've got to dive into those deep places of the word of God. You've got to listen to the, to, the, to the prophets. And the Bible says, give prophets a credit. To get, the Bible says that a prophet should be, should be respected for being a prophet. A pastor should be respected for being a, a, a pastor. So whatever the name of those ministries are, if they're true ministries, they need to be respected. Now, you've got to behold this Word of God, listen to this Word of God, dive deep into this Word of God, get into the continuum until you see it in your mind and in your heart and in the Scriptures that the thrones are cast down and the Ancient of Days is sitting whose garment is white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, and his throne like a fiery flame, and his wheels as a burning fire. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousands stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. That is described in the Bible, in the book of Revelations, as the great white throne. And hopefully we're going to get into more of that as we continue on with this teaching. Maybe you won't get all that today, but you'll eventually get that. And we're going to put it into your, your heart by the power of the Holy Ghost, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We're not taking you on a safari off into other Eastern religions. We're not taking you on, on, on the boat called Critical or you just want to spend your whole time knocking every, every other name of every other uh, uh, denomination or religion that doesn't happen to, to, to fit the colors of your stripe. We're not going there. We're just, we're just riding, you know, on the white horse. And we're going to let other people ride on the horse that they want to ride. That's between them and God. We got to deal with Jesus Christ. And the deal is the most sensational deal that's ever been uh, offered by any religion or any God leader at any time in the world. And Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. If you will not judge, then you will not be judged. I'm honing in on that deal. I've accepted that deal. I'm not judging. I'm not judging because I don't want to be judged. And if you're smart, you'll get on that same boat. You'll ride that same white horse. Praise God. Praise the name of God. And the fifth angel, chapter 9 of Revelations, sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and he was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of that pit, and a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. He's not there to play games. He's not using those keys to this bottomless pit of space to loiter around. Verse 11, And they had a king over them, which is the king of the bottomless pit. This isn't a game. Let's get over into Revelations in the 20s, over there in the 20s. I'll read you a surprising scripture. Verse 7 of chapter 20. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Did you hear what that said? Did you hear what I read to you that the scripture said? Whose prison is that? Is that the, 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 script or the prison that belongs to the, the, to the county jail or to the state or to some nation or to the good angels? No. That's his prison. He owns it. That's what the Bible says. It's his prison. Let me tell you what else it says. Chapter 20, verse 3. And they cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should not deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. Now what's it talking about, the thousand years? The thousand generations. Well, we don't know when this happened. It didn't happen Yet, 
at some point, though, and I think we have a good idea from Daniel, but I'm not getting into that right now. That's going to happen. But it's a deal. It's a deal. How is he shut up? He's shut up by this seal in which he agrees not to be involved in deceiving the nations. And then it says, after these thousand generations are completed, because they have to be fulfilled, verse 3 of chapter 20, he must, M-U-S-T, he must, he must, he must, he must be loosed for a little season. Someone says, well, it's just a little season. Oh, don't be so sure that you know what that means. Especially when you consider that with God, a thousand years is only one day. Don't jump the gun. Don't cross the street yet. Don't look in the mirror at yourself yet. Don't count your guesses. Don't play the lottery. Just get on your feet and start walking toward the kingdom of God because something good is just about to happen. Wow. So, He's got to be let out of there. According to the Bible, the beast and the son of perdition, the false prophet, will be cast into the lake of fire, which are the compressions of the deep, of the universe. So we can already see from this that He's not in there, this prison, for a, a thousand generations in the sense of the whole thousand generations, but he's in it for a particular part of time, a season. And it's his prison. Because he's got the keys to it. Chapter 9, verse 1. He's got the keys. He's in control. And the, the Bible tells us, and I've read the scripture to you many times, that the kingdoms of this world do not become the kingdoms of the Lord until at the end of time. Then obviously, the kingdoms of this world are belonging, are belonging to Lucifer Satan. Wow. Wow. And in 20 verse 10, that thing that I said to you, 
And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. They were already there. And it says, and they shall be tormented. It's not the right translation. They shall be confounded. Through the convolutions and the compressions and finally the the in the in convolution the the in generating in which the whole world goes into ultimate density wow wow blessed be the name of god so now we're beginning to see some things We're beginning to see this thing about the river. We're beginning to see this thing about the fifth day, the fifth angel. They're the same thing. We're beginning to see this thing about the sun of the morning as it describes it in Isaiah 14, 12. We're beginning to see how the, at one time Lucifer was perfect until iniquity was found in him, being when he moved over from the cherubims into the ophanims. And the differentiation was the difference between being a perfect cherubim and being a not perfect ophanim. Ezekiel twenty-eight fourteen and 16. But in the end, we know what this is all about. We know this is all about the powers and the principalities of the darkness of this world and not flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12. And like I said, Revelations eleven fifteen, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord. This doesn't happen till the end of the, 20, of the, of the thousand uh, generations. When the kingdoms of the world are returned to Christ. Revelations 11.15. Read it for yourself. Wow. Wow. Genesis 1.24. Where someone says, well, I don't get this thing on the fifth day. The Bible says it was good when all these things happened. Yeah. But what the real meaning of the proper translation and almost any true advanced scholar will tell you that the word good is not a correct translation. And what it means, instead of and God saw that it was good and God saw that it was to be. God saw that it was to be, and that's what the Bible really says. God saw that it was to be, or God saw that it was. Now, I've been preaching these things to you, but this time you've got to get it down. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, we're moving on. We've got so much to say yet, so much to cover. We've got this thing where Adam is born from the Euphrates people. Adam is born as a little baby, throwing away 
the angels come and they raise him. He is the beginning of Jerusalem. He's the metaphor for the beginning because he is the first man with a soul. Now some people say, well, it's getting so confusing now because they're finding all of these supposed human beings that are modern human beings and some of these people they're saying have existed thousands and thousands, like 60,000 and some people even say greater periods than that that they have existed. That doesn't have anything to do with you. Nothing whatsoever. It doesn't matter how many humans that they find. Because the Bible already says it in the book of Genesis. Chapter 6. Talks about the when the men began to multiply the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, the children of Saith, saw the daughters of men, the offspring of, of Cain, but also the offspring of the four rivers. The Gihon, the Hedekel, those four rivers. The Pison. Ah, they're all mentioned. And 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 here is what is very important to be sure that you get down in your mind. It is so very, very important. And that is that the Lord made it clear to them that these people had flesh. In verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not only strive with man, for that he also is flesh. So you've got the spirit souls of the offspring of of Seth, which are soul, soul genetic flesh, and then you have these people that are soulless people. They belong to these four rivers that the Bible tells us about in the book of Genesis. And that that is the Pison and that includes the Hedekel, the Gihon, and the Euphrates. Chapter 2, verse 10 through 14. And they're also flesh. So some of these, like the Euphrates people, are, are, are advanced and have been for thousands and thousands of years. Just like humans, they're also flesh, just like you. they got flesh like you. They're human like you. They're modern types of human like you. And they've been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years and living. But what they don't have, they do not have a soul. 
God breathed into Adam, and he became a living soul. And so it doesn't matter if someone says, oh, we can prove this, <clears throat> this thing about Adam is false. He was not the first human. The way it dates back in the Bible to him, he's not the first human. Oh, first of all, they don't have that date just right. But second off, <clears throat> there's other humans, modern humans, that have lived before, before Adam. He was the son, in Ezekiel 16, you'll see the son of, of, of a human mother and father. But he was thrown away. The Septuagint says because there was something about his, his private parts that did not seem right. And he was thrown away. Which was a paganistic thing that they did in those times. Come on, people, hear me. The, there is scripture, lots of scripture for this, and we're going to get into it. So what matters when people say to you, well, we found you know, 100,000 years ago, there's modern humans. That couldn't, have been, that couldn't have been offspring of Adam. I say, well, absolutely it wasn't. They say, well, what do you mean? So I mean what I just said. Those were all part of the soulless people that lived prior to Adam. Adam was the first man with a spirit soul. They had physical souls, physical bodies, but they did not have spirit souls. And so that whole thing that they're coming up with, supposedly geology-wise, scientific-wise, it doesn't make a bit of difference. It doesn't affect our religion. It doesn't affect our Bible. It doesn't affect what we believe. It doesn't matter if they find a modern human that lived a million years ago. We're not claiming that, it's, that it's, he's the offspring of Adam. In fact, we know he's not the offspring of Adam. He's also flesh, yes. But he doesn't have a soul. And that's the differentiation. You've got to get that. You've got to get it down. You've got to get it down, people. Blessed be the name of God. Wow. Wow. And don't forget about those waters. Chapter 17, verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. It has these, these waters represent different kinds of people. People that speak a different language, different tongues. People that ultimately form a different nation. That's all from the Bible. That's all from the Word of God. That's all part of the plan of God. And once you really begin to get that, ladies and gentlemen, you open up the book. You're into deep diving. Wow. Remembering this whole thing about the accounting and the begetting. That a lot of times in the Bible when it says someone begets someone, 
they're, they're talking about an ans- many times an ancestral relationship, not a father and a son relationship or a father and a daughter relationship, but an ancestral. We've given you examples of that. Wow. And is this thing important about the about this thing about the genetics? Well, of course it is. I read you the scripture last week, Nehemiah 7, 63 through 65, that some of these people that couldn't prove their, that, that they had a pure line of descent had to wait for a priest to rise with the Urim and Thummim. Absolutely. And I read to you about the special kinds of accounting that there are, that are spiritual accounting. So when we get into all these different ages, you know, the Jurassic, the Triastic, the Cretaceous, all these different ages, it doesn't matter. We know by the Bible it's been going on for hundreds of thousands of years. We also know that the Bible gives us the number of the ophanims that fell as being a trillion. And that the Bible says that there was that one third of the stars in the twelfth chapter of Revelations was cast to earth, and if you take one third away, then it leaves two other thirds. Because a third is one third, two third, three third. And interesting when you get into the into the Bible like Zechariah 13:8 through 9, Hosea 6:2, Ezekiel 5:2, Isaiah 37:30, 30, Revelations 8:7 through 12, Revelations 9:15, You get into this thing about all these happenings that happen where uh, one-third of something is destroyed. One-third happens to this particular thing. One-third happens to that particular thing. Why? Why that repetition? Why is there the revelation in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 about the third heaven? In 1 Corinthians 15, 4 about the third day? About Revelations 4, 7, the third beast, which has the face of a man. And Revelation 6, 5, the third seal. And Revelations 9, 15 and 18, about slain one-third of the part of men. And Revelations 11, 14, about the third woe. It's all got to do, it's all got to do with the one-third of the angels that were that the dra- dragon's tail drew and cast to earth because there was three groups, a third, a third, a third. The seraphim a third, the cherubim a third, and the ophanim a third. And the ophanim third was cast to earth. And so all these things of this destructive examples of one third, one third, one third, they're all about that one third. And they're emphasizing the importance of it. Well, what about all these destructive things that Satan is doing? Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 54, 16, God created the waster. 
Isaiah 54, 16 says that. In Isaiah 45, uh, 7, I believe it is, he says, he creates light and darkness. He creates, you know, a peace. And he creates all these things that happen that seem to be opposite to that. The Bible says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Check out that Isaiah 45, 7. Check it out. So when someone, when the Bible says these things have happened the way they've happened, it's not accidental. When we talk about the human creation, you know, and we read Isaiah 1, 26, 27, 28, and 29, Genesis 1, 31, and in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed his nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul, and he did the same thing with the animals. The very word for man is related to the Hebrew word for ground, Adama, from which the name Adam is taken and made a singular pronoun or like a singular noun. So when Adam was born in the Euphrates people and in Ezekiel 16, 3 and 6, it says he was polluted in his own blood. It ties back into the, to the 13th chapter of the book of, of Matthew in which Jesus says the tares were planted by the children of Satan. And we'll hopefully still cover that again. So these four rivers, which are genetic rivers, are all polluted with this this poison, this plan of the tares of, of, of Lucifer, Satan. And the Pison, the Gihon, the, the Hittichel or Tigris rivers and the Euphrates River, they all have this plan in it. And when the ch children of Saith begin to intermingle with the children of this flesh world that were like them, their offspring got contaminated. But they were going to be polluted anyway because uh, Adam, when he was born, he was born of the Euphrates people that had that plan in him. And that was all part of what was the plan that, that Adam had to overcome just as Jesus had to overcome those things in the body that, that, that the average person on, this, on Main Street had to overcome. Otherwise, his sin, his, his overcoming of sin, uh, his overcoming of these things wouldn't be sufficient for the amazing grace of God to forgive these people. So Adam was, was from the dust of the ground because the Euphrates people were created from the dust, but they had in them a genetic pollution. And the Bible says right in the Word 
that that this little baby, this Adam, was 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 polluted in his own blood. Ezekiel sixteen three through six. Wow. Okay, we're rolling. So, God makes a, a, a covenant with, um, with Abram. This thing of the Euphrates River is not minor. Genesis fifteen eighteen, the covenant is from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. That's part of the covenant. Wow. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. God uh, is to drive out the nations from uh, from the Euphrates. The same thing is continued with Joshua, Joshua one four. As given the order to repeat Deuteronomy twenty four. Wow. And this revelation in Revelation 7.15 of the rivers and the people is repeated by a metaphor of Isaiah 8.6-8 and Jeremiah 46.8. Even the Egyptians are represented in the river people thing. Jeremiah 46, 2, 6, and 10. Wow. In Revelations 9.14, it talks about the angels that are bound in the great river Euphrates. There's four of them. Sure. Four rivers. Four, four types of people. In, Re- in Revelation 6.16.12, Revelation 16.12, the sixth angel pours his vial over the great river Euphrates that the way of the king of the east the kings of the east might be prepared. And oh, I wish I had the time to tell that whole story. But it says part of this thing, of this pouring on the Euphrates, releases these unclean uh, spirits like frogs. And they are the spirits of devils going forth into the kings of the whole world to gather them together for battle. This is all part of the plan and the epic that Lucifer uh, uh, invaded the, these bodies without getting permission from Yaviel and put his, his insignia in them and his plan in them, which included the dinosaurs and the huge, gigantic foldages of, of food to feed them. This is the incredible revelation. And the Bible says that Adam was made from the dust of the ground. Genesis 2, 7. And the Bible says that people will return to the dust. Genesis three nineteen. And Genesis thirteen sixteen will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. Spoke that to Abram. And Abram himself admitted in Genesis 18:27 I am but dust. And Job's Job 10:9 says we are clay and dust. 
Psalms 103.14, God knows our frame. He remembers our dust. Psalms 104.29, hide your face. Take your breath, for they return to dust. Ecclesiastes 3.20, the beast and man all go to one place, all turn to dust again. Ecclesiastes 12.7, then shall the dust return to earth, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Isaiah 26.19, awake and sing, you that dwell in the dust. And the truth is all wound and can in the continuum of this long time of an a God accounted genealogy that people have not understood. And this story is told in the measurement of the temple, which we don't have time to get into today, but we will, Lord willing, next week. And finally, we'll be getting very soon Lord willing, next week into the into who are the mortals, a very large chapter book out of the incredible book, the Holy Manifest, and where it talks in the nineteenth verse of Genesis. So it was, the period of dawn and the period of convolution became the fourth generation age. And you can check out that word concordance in, the, in Strong's Greek con, uh, Concordance Dictionary. Number 5142, which comes from number 5157, which has the word convolution in it, which means a turn or a turning. The turning of the earth is what allows there to be day and night. Wow. We're going to close. Save this incredible part from that we'll be reading to you from the Holy Manifest that will tell you things about Lucifer and this whole thing of the white throne judgment and more about this interpretation of the tares. Lord willing, next week, may God bless you May God's peace come upon you. And you people that I've been upholding in prayer, some of which I have named in the last few weeks, I cause by my faith the Holy Spirit of deliverance to come upon you this moment. Plucking up the roots of trees that bear no fruit. Casting mountains that are volcanic into the ocean to cool the ugly heat and flames that would belch out upon the earth unbreathable air. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, be you delivered, be you healed right now by the power of Jesus Christ. God bless you.
Thank you.